0: Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas to me so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main web address, and ClarkDeals.com, that's our deal site, obviously, where we have all kinds of bargains for you that we update all through the day, seven days a week. Coming up a little later, today's Clark Rage We're moving into the time of year with the door-to-door rip-offs, and I want to tell you what you need to know how to protect yourself. And later yet, you want to buy a home, but it feels like you're never going to get there. There are a number of new companies that are coming with offers to help you get in a home a lot sooner, but with a big catch. So I want to talk. Right now, about a serious problem in the country. Roughly half of Americans have no money at all to deal with an unexpected expense. If I remember right, the most recent survey said 44 percent of Americans could not handle a minor financial, what's called an emergency. That may be a stretch of the word, but. An unexpected expense. But you know, in life, unexpected expenses happen. And a lot of people are left to the mercy of these predatory payday loans where you end up paying 400 to 800 percent interest to get over a rough spot, but the interest rates are so high that what tends to happen is that it leads to a death spiral for your wallet. And so employers are looking at all different ways to try to get people in a position where they're not going to be a sitting duck for a payday loan to deal with an emergency. And I shared with you recently how a steadily larger number of employers will now give employees access to their pay like is an advance before payday, at no cost. And the reason more and more employers are doing that is that when an employee takes out a payday loan, the stress level on that employee goes through the roof and their work performance will deteriorate because the stress of dealing with that financial burden is so intense that somebody's ability to be a productive worker may be harmed. But now there's a counter-movement to employers giving the advances on pay to employees to keep them out of the clutches of the payday lenders. And this is fascinating. I saw an item in the Wall Street Journal about this where now – a handful of big companies are offering people a combination deal. If you go to classes in your spare time that the company sponsors that talk to you about how to handle money, how to budget, all that, that the company will offer you a financial incentive that if you start saving money through a payroll deduction, The company puts up some level of match, often uh, 10 to 25% of what you're saving, almost like a 401k match, but on a rainy day fund. This is novel. It's something that is not widespread yet, but has been adopted by a number of midsize and large companies to not have to face this dilemma where an employee needs their pay early because the the bill is there that has to be paid and they don't want somebody in a payday loan either. What if you can change the finances for somebody? One company I talk about is a trucking company in Pittsburgh called Pitt, Ohio, that has a couple of thousand drivers and they now offer employees who will save $19 a week a partial match on that money. And so the company match works out to be about 15% of the money that a trucker will save. So it's like having, for the money you save, a 15% pay raise. And then it eliminates the hand-to-mouth thing being one whisker away from financial disaster or the rotten, terrible payday loans. Lee is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Lee. Hey, Clark. How's it going? Great. Thank you, Lee. You are a high schooler, but uh, you part time homeschool or 100% homeschool? Uh,
1: it's 100% homeschool, but I'm currently going to a vocational college, so uh, Votech.
0: So you're like dual enrolled right now at your house and at a tech school?
1: That'd be a good way to describe it. Yeah.
0: Well, how's that going?
1: Uh, it's going really well. Uh, I'm doing precision metal fabrication, uh, so. The study what does that mean in is, English? <laughs> it's essentially uh, welding's cooler older brother. Wow. Um, so it's it's kind of I guess you, you it would be the evolution of uh, blacksmithing. So um, we have. Uh, a machine called the press brake that will form metal into the shapes we launch, uh, rollers, uh, CNC plasma cutters, et cetera, things like that. So it, it's a lot of machine work.
0: How about that? And when will you complete that study program and be employed in that as a field?
1: Well, that's actually one exciting thing. I am currently working an internship at a local steel shop and that's a really good way to get my foot in the door for a possible job there once I graduate. Um, I will be ending my first year this coming May, and then it's a two-year program, so uh, May of
0: 2019. And so by the time you're 18 or 19, you'll be ready for a profession with two years of training under your belt.
1: Yes, sir. And the pay rate for metalworking in the metal industry in general is extremely high uh i'll put it this way uh your your bachelor's in gender studies i'm pretty sure i i I get i get paid more than a bachelor's in gender (laughs) studies
0: okay fair enough poor liberal arts degrees okay that's that's fair (laughs) so how can i serve you today because you sound like you're really a motivated guy
1: well i try to be so Since I'm a graduating senior, I've always done everything in cash. And that's generally been my policy, so I don't um, spend more than my means. But uh, as I'm going into the big, scary adulting world, I'm realizing that I'm going to have to, at some point, borrow money, uh, whether that be to uh, pay for a car and start making car payments. Um, the, The car I drive now is... It works fine, but I should start saving. Uh, college, uh, college loans, that sort of thing. I do plan to pursue further education after my Votex school. So, yeah, just uh, what I'm, I should probably get to the point. Uh, what I'm wondering is, how can I build up credit starting out? Because I, I've applied for a couple of different credit cards and I've been turned down for all three of them. Sure, you're going to be uh, turned
0: down. So let's talk through the process okay all right so the easiest way you 17 now 6 17 Uh, 18 oh you're 18 now all right so at 18 you can apply on your own but you're going to find that you're going to have the experience you had you're going to be declined is there a parent or relative that would be willing to add you as an authorized user on an existing credit card account that they have They don't even have to give you the plastic.
1: Yeah, that would probably work.
0: Because not all issuers report authorized users, but it's common they do. So if you are just added as an authorized user on a relative's Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Discover, it needs to be one of the big four, then that's going to help you start to establish credit. And as soon as you're working next year and receiving these these very generous paychecks that are going to come your way because of the skill set you have, your income level will support an application for a credit card standing on your own. I got you. And then you can be removed as an authorized user from the account you're on. Now make sure the relative who's generous enough to add you is somebody who's really, really good with how they handle credit.
1: Yeah, that, that would be my mother. Uh, she's an entrepreneur, so
0: she has to be. Okay. So then the second path, if somehow that dead ends on you, is are you a member of a credit union yet? I am not. I've looked around. It looks like there's uh, one or two in my area. So with a credit union, a lot of credit unions offer what most often is referred to generically as a fresh start program. And allows you to, in return for being a customer of the credit union, having, let's say, a checking and savings account there, they'll issue you a small limit Visa or MasterCard. And that will absolutely help you establish your credit record and all the rest. But they're going to be interested in you once you have the paying job. Before that, they're not going to really be that interested in you because where's your demonstrable source of income but as soon as you've got that you're going to be in great shape and continued success to you lee your your work ethic is extraordinary molly is with us on the clark howard show hello molly hello clark how are you great thank you molly well good i have a question
2: about um a hotel so I do a lot of traveling. My vehicle is going to turn over 230,000 miles this next week.
0: Oh, so it's still a baby.
2: It's a baby. It absolutely is. I'm hoping for three, 325 is my goal. So Great.
0: We'll and uh, so you've had this enormous success with this vehicle. Just go ahead and say what kind of car it is and what model year.
2: Yeah, it's a 2003 Toyota Highlander.
0: And it just runs and runs and runs.
2: And I'm crazy about the maintenance, making sure that it's um, kept up on everything from oil changes to the timing belt to the water pump and all that great stuff. So it's been a very, very good car for me, and I hope it lasts a whole lot longer. Great. So so my question is about hotel stays. There's a, a chain of hotels that I prefer when I travel, and they offer the option of a digital key whereby I use my smartphone to go ahead and open up the room right and I'm wondering about the security feature on that can you can you enlighten me on that should I be worried about you there's my been phone a lot of
0: debate about this and what I have read is that and I'm not a tech expert but what I've read is that the security of opening your room with your cell phone is superior to a room key issued at the front desk okay But it's definitely not inferior to a room key issued at the front desk. Okay. So I have never, I've had the opportunity to use it, and I guess creature of habit, I haven't done it yet. But I know of no real danger or risk or downside to using your smartphone as the smart key, basically, to open your hotel room.
2: Very, very convenient because I can choose my room on the app. I can bypass the front desk and I can just simply go right to my room and um, I'm there. I don't have to stop anywhere
0: else. And so I would keep doing that, Molly. It's working for you. I know of no downside. If there turns out to be a downside, you know that that will be highly publicized because that's a good kind of grabbing kind of story for news. But I would feel comfortable and confident doing just what you're doing, and comfortable and confident that you're going to get several more years out of that Highlander. Today's Clark Rage is something that becomes far more common as the weather starts to improve around the country, and I want you to be on your guard from door-to-door salespeople in today's Clark Rage's moment. Scams. Rip-offs. outrages. It's a Clark Regis moment. So it would not be fair to say that anybody who's going door-to-door selling is going to be up to no good. There are people who are earnestly, legitimately trying to earn a living soliciting people going door-to-door. But I want you to know there's way too many problems, way too many high-pressure salespeople Way too many ripoffs and scams and all the rest that happen door to door. A lot of people don't answer the door when it rings, particularly if they have a ring doorbell or something like that. They look, they don't recognize who's there, and they're not going to answer that door. By the way, uh, there are reports that because of the ring doorbell and their competitors that a lot of solicitors when they see one just leave a house without even ringing the doorbell because they know there's not going to be any chance somebody's going to answer that door. But if somebody, if you do answer the door and somebody's trying to sell you something, do not agree on-site that second to buy anything. It's fine if they want to leave you literature. Don't give them your contact information. Be very wary of anybody who says, hey, we just happened to be in your neighborhood And we have leftover supplies from doing blah, blah, blah down the street. Or I've done an analysis of your roof and you have this damage over here that's just a time bomb waiting to happen or whatever the pitch is. A lot of us have a hard time saying no to somebody we're standing face to face with. And I want you to stand up for yourself. And if you have a hard time saying no... Just use time as your ally, the stall. Well, I don't make snap decisions. Please leave me information, and I'll get back with you if I'd like to talk to you about this. If they remain persistent and insistent, then you got to stand more on your side. And by the way, don't ever make a purchase decision at the moment an absolute stranger has come to your door and done their pitch. Nothing good for you, is going to come from that. I'm glad to have you join us here on the Clark Howard Show where you learn ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main web address and ClarkDeals.com where you go to save money. Last decade before the real estate bust, there was a product that started emerging that I was getting an increasing number of questions about from people who lived in areas that were seeing big appreciation and value in the bubble of real estate. And it was called a a shared appreciation loan or mortgage. Well, here we are more than a decade later from the real estate bust. And now various shared appreciation programs Are appearing all over the country they're more varied than what we had more than a decade ago where you if you want to buy a home and you don't have enough money to buy that home maybe you're short down payment or whatever there are various enterprises that will come in as a partner on the purchase of that home And so they will pay a down payment or they will take on some of what would be the purchase price and you will end up owing them an amount of money that will increase each year or at the time you sell the property a portion of the gain that the property has had. Now, there are people who've done this over the years, and it's worked out to be great for them, because it got them into a home they wouldn't have been able to afford otherwise. If you buy a home with a partner in a shared appreciation kind of thing, and the home does move up nicely, you may well be able to refi that home and cash out the people who are your partners on the home. And so this is a, a situation where you rise together or you fall together with the benefit being that maybe instead of a long wait till you're able to buy a home, it's a shorter wait. But it's not a panacea because you're in a contract with people and the terms are all over the place on these shared appreciation deals. So you need to not just look at whatever website they have whatever flyer they would send you you need to really dig down and deep to see if you can live with the terms and conditions through the years that you would be agreeing to in order to be able to get into that home you know a lot of times when you've been frustrated and you're trying to buy a home and somebody comes along and says we'll make it happen for you you don't trouble yourself with the details because you've been so frustrated trying to buy a home and here's somebody saying hey we're going to help you make it you're going to be in that home but under what terms and conditions and that's what you need to pay close attention to before you do shared appreciation ben is with us on the clark howard show hello ben hey clark how are you doing great thank you ben you got a question for me in my pharmacy role
3: yeah, yeah. So uh, I've always had great health insurance. and uh, over the past I guess few months, and uh, I've been getting mail uh, with these pres- prescription drug savings cards, and I've started to see them pop up like at the doctor's office, just on the counter. And so I've done a little research and it seems like uh, possibly these uh, prescription savings cards are, uh, maybe charging pharmacies on the back end, which may end up cost making prescriptions cost more. But I just wanted to get more details to see if you had any
0: insight on those. So these cards that are free, these prescription programs that are free, they generally will have a website or an app where for a particular med, you can put in the drug you need, the dosage size you need, the number of uh, pills you need, 30, 60, 90, whatever. And then they will do a price survey of the marketplace and give you prices for different places. And then if you go, let's say one of them is, uh, let's say $28, just for argument's sake, and it's near you and it's a great price, you think, and so you go fill the prescription. With most of these plans, it's just as you said, the pharmacy is paying a referral fee, like a commission, for you having gone there because of this drug discount program.
3: So does that get rolled back into the price of the prescription? That is a great so question.
0: So- I think that a lot of the pharmacists look at it as a marketing cost, just like advertising or whatever, because what pharmacies need is volume. And so when I go, I, I use one a lot called GoodRx. Have you seen that one? I'm holding the card in my hand. All right, so with GoodRx, (laughs) I'll survey, because we have a prescription benefit through the studio that is a $25 uh, minimum payment that I have to make on a generic, and then $75 on a brand name. Well, what's a stunner is often, when I price survey on GoodRx, the cost of a generic will be less than that $25. So if okay. I file it through the, the studio coverage, I'll have to pay $25 even if just is basically a private pay. I could have paid 14 or 12 or recently I had one that was $9. So I'm always checking to see what's available. Now, I go a lot of times and fill prescriptions at Costco Mm-hmm. And often when I get there, it's cheaper than the good RX price I found on my phone. Okay. And so then I don't even give the good RX code.
3: Okay, but I've recently switched to an HSA plan so our prescription uh, cost is out of pocket until we hit our deductible. So I just wanted to make sure as I'm thinking through using um, you know, I've got the good RX card sitting here in my hand actually the one you're talking about. So you know, I just wanted to see if there were any um, long-term implications of using it, or anything that might be fraudulent in using it. So, no, none.
0: There's no, there's no warning signs at all that I see. Okay. And what I've really liked about it is, who knew that uh, place uh, one place is ten times the price of another place on the same medicine? Right. I mean, you're probably seeing that. When you put in a particular med, how enormous the price difference is from one place to another. Yeah. And so if Great. nothing That's good to know. If nothing else, yeah. I mean, with these prescription benefit cards, is that you actually are able, or they're just discount cards. You're able to see the price waterfront, and you're saying, "Oh, wow, I should go there to fill it," and it's not consistent. You know, one place may be really cheap on one med and really expensive on another, and that's why I check every single drug every single time. James joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, James. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great, thank you. So I was just talking about filling a prescription at Costco. You want to talk about Costco. What's up?
4: Yes, sir. Uh, My wife and I uh, have lived in our home for And we owned it for about 13 years now. And we just found out recently that um, through an announcement by our city council that a parcel of undeveloped land that's right next to our neighborhood was purchased by Costco. And I'm presuming that they're going to build one there. And we're trying to figure out what's going to happen to our property values as a consequence of that.
0: So your residential area, is it pretty much cocooned from any commercial development any retail development or is there other retail development adjacent to your neighborhood
4: Um, for the most part uh, in three directions it's all neighborhoods and they're building more every day Uh, there's a high school that's right by but right across the freeway there is a little bit of more retail not a lot
0: because if it's directly touching your neighborhood i wouldn't care who was coming in i would say that affects the quality of life in your neighborhood at least for the people that back up to where the costco might be opening
4: right yeah that's exactly what my wife and i were talking about she's been listening or reading some message boards from our neighborhood association and there's concerns about traffic and of course I, we suspect that once it's developed that we'll be able to basically look through the houses in our neighborhood right at the parking lot.
0: Okay, so that's where as a neighborhood you get fired up and you're at the various hearings that will take place because where you want to have as much effect is that you can't just, if, if they want to build there, somebody else is going to want to come in too. Right. And so you want to create as many conditions is you can negotiate with them so that they create a good barrier and good buffer to the neighborhood so that Mm, you don't have light pollution and you don't have noise pollution from what costco would build on that property if it's big enough it could be a costco with what's known as out parcels where there's other things that are on the property as well. other retailers or restaurants or whatever so uh, as much as you can organize as a community and just saying no the politicians don't listen to that but Mm -hmm. if you're saying okay and you might need as a neighborhood to hire your own land use planning expert or firm to represent you because the what you should really be about is preserving the quality of life For people that live on the side of the neighborhood adjacent to this and also the home values and you can do both of those things at the same time if you're able to negotiate a good buffer to the development
4: right are there there any examples or places where a person like myself or our community association could go to to look for some resources on how to do something like this because our, uh, there's a very sort of mixed point of view as to what to expect and uh, and uh, what we should be asking for. Well, the um,
0: irony the irony with Costco is that uh, people who will be further away from the Costco but uh, close to it have good proximity to it. Their home values may in fact go up because right. Costco is considered to be kind of like an amenity coming into an area. Yeah, but,
4: I mean, oddly enough. There's a Costco about seven miles away from us that we love to go to, uh, but walking to one isn't what I really had in mind.
0: Right. I understand. So what I would do is I would get busy searching on the Internet through Google or whatever search engine, look for stories from people um, fighting neighborhood fights Costco, that kind of phrase, and see what has gone on in other places in the country and how they wage their campaign against the store opening. You can also do the same thing. You'll find a lot more references if you do Neighborhood Fights Walmart opening or something like that. Right. So I used to live in a neighborhood that Walmart wanted to open a store, and the neighborhood successfully stopped them from coming in, and instead, just like I said, you could end up with something else. We ended up with a Home Depot in the neighborhood. And so... When something is going commercial, it's all about trying to create conditions that preserve the neighborhood as well as you possibly can, because holding back that retail tide is really, really tough. Edward's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Edward. Hey, Clark. How are you doing today? Great, thank you. Okay, so Edward, this is the craziest thing. I was out uh, doing, you know, I, I do TV as well, and I was out doing a TV story and somebody came up to ask me a question that I'm gathering is going to be so similar to what you're about to pose to me about FICO. You bet. Hit me with it.
5: Okay. I have two major credit cards that offer free FICO scores. And I've been tracking it, tracking mine for about six to eight months. And I've noticed that um, within about a week apart when they post any updates, that my FICO score is anywhere from 7 to 10 or 15 points in a difference between them. Now, that may just be because of the cards, but is it any different if I went on to FICO.com and actually found uh, my true FICO score?
0: Okay, so this is exactly the question I was asked when I was out shooting TV. That is so weird. All right, you weren't out when I was doing a TV story, were you?
5: Okay, Uh, No, No, I would love to, but uh, I I listen to you every night.
0: Well, I'm glad you do, Edward. So here's the scoop. If you look at the information, there may be a link there, and one credit card may be relying on the information from, let's say, TransUnion. And another one may be relying on information from Experian or Equifax that none of us have a FICO score. We actually have dozens of FICO scores. Okay. Depending on what scoring model they're using and what credit bureau they're drawing information from. If you were to look at your credit report from all three bureaus, you'd see stuff that's listed on one that's not on another.
5: I do. I've seen that.
0: So that's the reason for the variation in the scores if you said it was like because you said it was like a week apart that would uh, for, yes, About that would explain apart. the only way you could have a score that would that would consistently vary would be relying on different initial data so not only do you have a FICO score a general score with based on Equifax TransUnion Experian each individually but when you go for a mortgage there's a different fico scoring model used that's based on all three credit reports but they crunch the numbers differently when you go for a car loan there's a different version of a fico score and so it would be different also based on which credit reporting agency they're relying on Uh, so what you're looking for is you're looking for the trend being your friend what kind of scores are you averaging
5: I'm averaging right now. In the past six months, it's gone up to about six ninety five to seven oh three.
0: Okay. So you're you're monitoring this very well. You're seeing the trend. Are you set up with credit karma or credit sesame? I use both. All right. So they do a good job walking you through what are the things you can do to raise your score over time? Correct. And so just keep following those processes. And you'll get solidly in the sevens, which is where you really want to be moving forward. And good for you that you're paying such close attention to this and building a better financial future. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I want you to know that I appreciate so much that you've just tuned into our podcast, that you had faith in the information and advice you get. You want more information from us? One of the best ways to get Clark smart is with our free newsletters, Clark Daily, Clark Deals, and Travel eScape. Sign up now. You'll be able to unsubscribe at any time if you think I'm wasting your time. Go to clark.com newsletters.